It's the thing that is consuming their attention, whether it's conscious or not. When you listen to them talk, you can hear that they have a passion for something else, even though they may not even hear it themselves. When you ask them the right questions, that's usually the starting point. From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a long career as an employed professional. Today on episode 122 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Tamara Laschek, a career and business coach who helps mid to late career professionals reinvent their careers. Tamara had her own experience reinventing her career after 26 years on Wall Street. If you've struggled with pivoting your career, you'll want to listen to my conversation with Tamara. Stay with us to hear the details. There's no doubt that it's really hard to reinvent your career. That's why it's important for you to have support to help you through the rough spots. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll find a range of tools and resources to support your business, access to experts, answers to your burning questions, and the camaraderie of supportive, collaborative colleagues. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com slash community. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash community. Now let's welcome Tamara Laschik. Tamara is a career and business coach who helps mid to late career professionals reinvent their careers. Before establishing her coaching business, Tamara had a successful career on Wall Street, where she spent a total of 26 years at firms such as J.P. Morgan, Merrill Lynch, Bank of America, and Deutsche Bank. Tamara is the author of the book, Lose the Gum, A Survival Guide for Women on Wall Street, Main Street, and Every Street in Between. Tamara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. Tell me a little bit about your career. I mean, it sounds fascinating that you were at all these big companies. You know, it sounds like what most people would consider to be a very prestigious career. And then here you are, sort of, I guess, mid-career, however you want to describe where you are in your career, becoming a career and business coach. Yes. So I loved working on Wall Street. I thought it was the most exciting place to work. I worked with people. I worked in the fixed income side of the business. And a lot of the people that worked there were what I thought were the smartest people on the planet. I literally worked with rocket scientists. So I was always inspired by the work that I was doing and always worked on the market side of the business. And then when JP Morgan merged with Chase, I accidentally landed in HR and I was asked to run the markets training program. So I was building programs for our junior population. And then I started to build continuing ed for our senior population and got involved in leadership, mentoring, and coaching. So that is how I got exposure to the coaching business. Love the work I was doing. I had carte blanche to build a number of different programs that were really innovated and were perceived by the street as the crown jewel of training programs, but did not love the culture of HR. Really struggled working in HR, especially coming from the business where it's all about you know speaking directly to people and 
not really, you know, coddling and just, you know, really just giving it straight didn't work so well in HR. And so while I was knocking the cover off the ball in terms of the things I was producing in HR, I was failing miserably from fitting into the culture of HR. And there were several times during my my HR career where I was almost fired. And they actually gave me a coach because I was such a strong producer. They decided they were going to invest in me and they were going to try to, they were going to try to fix me. <laughs> and so they gave me a coach to work with. And I got the message that really this was going to break my career if I didn't learn how to style flex. And so I used all the lessons that I had learned in my time in HR to write the book that I had written. Fascinating. And what are some of the main points of the book? Well, I think it's the how is just as important as the what. So when you're delivering results, I mean, I was great at delivering results, but I broke glass every step of the way. I mean, I had this attitude like, look, I'm producing these amazing results and sorry that your feelings are hurt or sorry that I'm not, you know, gelling with the, you know, the culture within HR, but that was one major lesson. And it, it's a lot of practical advice, like your boss has your, has ultimate power. And if you think that, you know, you might know more than your boss and you think you're going to be a smarty pants, that will always come back and haunt you, which is ultimately what did me in at the end of my career. It was a lesson I learned along the way, but one that I suppose I didn't heed that well. <laughs> What do you mean? Because you said you got coached to be able to fit into the HR culture. I did. And I fit into the HR culture adequately at Merrill. I decided that I did not want to live completely inauthentically. I mean, I I really tried to fit in, but still remain authentic to myself, but ultimately realized that I did not fit into HR and it's probably better that I left HR and moved back to the business where I belong. So while I managed to play nice enough in order to preserve my career, I did not feel, I felt a little bit like a fish out of water in HR. So I went back to the business. So you did in in one of these big companies? Yes. The end of my career, I had a very close relationship with a boss who brought me onto her team and I was supposed to be her takeout when she retired. And then she actually fired me two days before she retired. And it was because (laughs) I was a smarty pants and, you know, thought I knew more than her. (laughs) And there's a little bit more in there than, you know, that I'm saying she actually got, got sick and had to deal with a life-threatening illness and just felt extremely threatened by me. And I probably didn't handle it as best I could have. And so she fired me on her way out the door. Interesting. Even though she was leaving, she still felt threatened. Yes. And I, I attribute it to, she was probably concerned about her legacy. I mean, there was a time where she was really not on the top of her game. And I felt that she was putting the firm at risk. So I said, you know, you really need to focus and let others handle this. And, you know, when you're facing, you know, when you're facing mortality, I think that a lot of things go through your your head and you're extremely emotional about it. And she probably viewed me as she's going to wipe me off the map. She's going to ruin my legacy at a firm that she spent 30 years at. 
So I think she just thought this is this is the best way. And I wasn't terribly upset because after I had written the book, I was already doing some coaching on the side and I was doing a number of speaking engagements. So I kind of felt like I manifested my own firing. <laughs> and so I wasn't terribly upset. When I did some own introspection, I wasn't thrilled about how I left my Wall Street career, having had a stellar, impeccable record you know, managed to survive every crisis that ever, you know, occurred on Wall Street during my time there. And, you know, people used to say, firms don't fire people like you. You know, you're a top producer. I'm a team player. I believed in the vision and management's message. So as a good soldier in that regard. So this wasn't optimal in terms of how I wanted to exit my career, but it makes for a good story. <laughs> yeah. So I understand. Um why you said your boss has ultimate power. Yes. So even even though you may not have been super upset when you got fired, how did you feel immediately afterwards? I was initially stunned because it didn't really make sense from a rationale because they had said my job was eliminated and I was the lead on a project that was still going to, that was going to end in two years time. So when they said my position was eliminated, I knew that that was not true. Uh, so I was just very, very surprised. Also, I was the star of the team. So people used to come to me, even though I wasn't the new, I wasn't the most tenured person in the group. I caught on very quickly on what the objective was of the group and became sort of the unofficial lead of the group. And many of the, the people who worked in the group would come to me and ask me for guidance. And even my boss, you know, asked me to step in and help some of the, the people who are not understanding or were struggling with their projects. So I was clearly an outlier in terms of uh, production and the level of the results I was producing for, for the group and the firm. Yeah. Fascinating. So you were stunned. I was stunned. And I did not cry. And people ask me, did you cry when you got fired? And I did not. I'm very practical and pragmatic. And because I believe that I had manifested it, I thought about it in a very, like the universe is giving me a message. And I, because I was, I was struggling with my career in the entire last year. My boss and I weren't getting along. She put me in the penalty box. I'm someone who needs to be heard or feel that I need to be heard. And when she put me in the penalty box and I wasn't allowed to speak and she wanted to hear nothing that I had to say, I was just very dissatisfied. So I considered leaving and going to another firm, but my staff kept saying, why would you leave? You're doing this coaching on the side. You're doing great in your career. You're getting recognized by, by the leadership at the firm. Why would you leave? just, you know, ride out the job part and continue to build your business. And I didn't feel, I didn't love that strategy because I put my wholehearted self into everything I do. And I felt that wasn't, that wasn't me operating in integrity entirely. And the firm, they got plenty of me. I mean, I am, a, I'm a person who works at a 200%. So if I'm giving them a hundred percent because I'm putting half my effort. That's still more than a lot of people do. 
And I was the one who, you know, when there were meetings at four, five, six o'clock in the morning would be the one in the office coming in to take those meetings because it was a global firm. And once in a while, you'd have to have those early morning meetings or those late night meetings with Asia. And, and I was always the one who was happy to take, you know, the bullet for the team. Right. And um, pre-2020, many of those kinds of meetings took, always took place in the office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My firm did not believe in working for, from home. I used to actually argue with management and said as a way to offer non-monetary compensation to their employees, it's a way to boost morale. They were not bought into the concept. They were a European bank and they clearly said, they flat out said that they do not trust their employees to work from home. Wonderful message. Um, mm-hmm. That could be another whole podcast episode. Absolutely. Um, but Tamara, we do know that that the number one reason for job dissatisfaction has to do with the relationship with the supervisor. Yeah. Yeah. And it was unfortunate because I really did like her and we were very good friends and I cared very much from her, for her. And when she had told us that she was sick, I was very, I was devastated and, you know, stepped up and said, look, you don't, just focus on your health. I can take care of all of this. And I think she viewed that as, oh my God, she's going to wipe me off the map. So I guess I didn't step in and empathize with what she might have been going through. I viewed it as, you know, we, we have an obligation to the firm and to protect the firm. And we need to put the best players on the field to protect the firm, but did not really consider what she might've been going through and how that all related to everything she had worked for 30 years in her career, how that was going to look for her. So I did ultimately learn some of that lesson. Right. So in any case, you're out. I'm out. What career advice were you given? What career advice was I given or could I give? (laughs) No, were you given? I was given the career advice to go back to Wall Street. There was no reason why I wouldn't have done that. I had an extensive network. I spoke to leadership at many of the other firms, including JP Morgan. The leaders at JP Morgan told me to come back home because that has been where I grew up. And many that knew me were like, what job do you want? Yes, we'll hire you. But the industry had really changed a lot over the last decade and the work was no longer inspiring. What attracted me to Wall Street what I said in the beginning of this podcast was that I was working with the smartest people on the planet and we were innovating and creating really cool things. And after the financial crisis, there was so much regulation in financial services that there was no longer very much innovation. So it just moved from the products changed, the way the business was done was changed and the smartest people left, left to go to work in hedge funds so they were no longer working at the big banks. So it was, I was uninspired by the, the actual work, which is why I, I chose to leave after the last job I had. Wow. What was your first step? The first step was deciding what I was going to do. I left Wall Street and said to myself, my life is a blank sheet of paper. I can do anything. And I tossed around a number of different options, one of which was I thought maybe I would move to the south of France and write my second book, which I had an idea for years earlier, just did not have the time to do it. And starting looking at that as a possibility and then realized 
wait, I can't be off for six months writing a book in the South of France. I need to figure out how I'm going to actually live and make money. So I decided to focus on building a coaching business, which I always knew I would have. I just thought I would have it much later in my life when I retired from my Wall Street career at 60. <laughs> Not at <Surprise>. 50. <laughs> so 10 years earlier. <laughs> you got a head start. I got a head start. I thought that the time to leave Wall Street was right. And again, I had talked to a number of people and everyone, every one of us had the same. We all said the same thing. We all said, I just want another five years out of this industry. But when I really thought about it, five years would put me, would have put me at 55. And then what? You can't retire at 55. Most of us aren't you know, financially ready to retire at that point, nor would we want to. And everyone kind of said the same thing. They're holding on, you know, white knuckling, holding on to that job for just another five years. And when I let that go, then I started to think about the possibilities. And there were so many possibilities. I mean, after 25 years working in financial services, I believed that I could do anything. And I just needed to decide what that path was going to be. I had already been coaching. So the likely path was going to be that I was going to build that coaching business. The one thing that arose for me is that I had written a book advising younger women on their careers. The Lose the Gum book is a career guide for women. And the practical thing to have done is to take the content that I already had from the book and bring that into my coaching business. But I really felt in meeting with all the professionals who are clinging on for five more years, that this was really the audience that I was most aligned to at the time. And they always say, you are your client. Perhaps it's because I was my client, but I was seeing professionals at 50 years old or around that age, you know, all holding on for another five years, knowing that they're not going to make it through in the job they're in to retirement, getting pushed out that because they're too expensive and having limited options. So I became extremely attracted to this audience and was really passionate about helping this population. So that is how I chose this client or client avatar uh, for my business. So that was that evolution. And now I am a thousand percent sure that this is the right audience. I am so aligned to this audience. I see, you know, what is happening in corporations. We now have the great resignation, which I love because after I've left my corporate job, which was pretty soul crushing for the last decade, I started to see that you can't get the fulfillment and alignment with purpose working for a corporation. And now if I can pull everyone out of out of, out of corporate America, I would, uh, because I think that if you are looking for something that is fulfilling, then you're really not going to find it there. Right. So you're finding that there is a there there in, in what your heart has been telling you. hundred percent. 
100%. And one thing you may or may not know is that I ran for public office in New York City as part of my career reinvention, always really interested in politics. And even the policy platforms that I look at and look towards is all about sorting, holding corporations accountable for how they treat both consumers and employees. So this is in tremendous alignment with my beliefs. Mm. So now that you you have been very clear about who your ideal audience is and how you're in alignment with them and how your unique set of experiences, skills, and background and, and passion can help them, what's the solution for them? Well, I think the first solution is really to find out what it is that you really want to do. And that sounds so basic. That is a really tough question to answer because after you've been in a career for 25 years and you start to almost go through life like a robot, you don't think about what it is you want. You just do. And you just go through life and you, you know, through your career and through your life, you've had sacrifices. If you've had children, you've had to sacrifice. You know, if you've had a spouse, you've had to compromise. So nobody's really asked you over the last 25 years, what do you really want? Or no one's even cared about what you really want. And they may have never asked you. Maybe, maybe. And I know that many people have never even asked themselves that question. And I'm including myself in that. When I left the corporate world, again, I said, my life is a blank sheet of paper, but what do I want? I mean, it was, it was through journaling and meditation that I started getting more clarity and it was also through action. I took a lot, I took on a lot of projects. I started the business, I ran for office, I then started writing the next book. There were a lot of projects that I took on. And the one that I felt was in most alignment emerged at the top, at the top. It was the tip of the spear. So that was the one I really pursued. And it doesn't mean I dropped everything else. I'm still doing those, but I reprioritized which one was the most important, the most aligned to who I am and what it is that I do want. But I'm much clearer now, but it's taken, it's taken work. Yeah. How long do you find it typically takes people to answer that first question? What is it you really want to do? You know, some people have a sense you know, when I have calls, when I have enrollment calls with people who are interested in going through my coaching program and I'm listening with intention, I hear that there is something that they're talking about that they really, really love to do, but they never thought that it could become a career. So a lot of people, whether it's conscious or not, they know that there is something else that they want to do. It's that hobby that they're spending hours on on the weekend when they know they're supposed to be raking leaves. You know, it's it's the thing that is consuming their attention, again, whether it's conscious or not. And, you know, when you listen to them talk, you can hear that they have a passion for something else, even though they may not, they may not even hear it themselves. But when you ask them the right questions, a lot emerges. So that's usually the starting point. And then it, it could take a little bit more time for them to be conscious. 
One thing that I always advise my clients, because it seems like when they're dissatisfied in a longstanding career, they're very nervous about taking the next step to pursuing a career. And many people fear that, what if that's the wrong career? And then I'm sort of stuck again. But actually taking action, you start to become clearer of what you want and what you don't want. And you can course correct as you go. Right. Particularly if you're an entrepreneur. Yes, absolutely. Tamara, in your work, what kinds of outcomes are you most proud of? I am most proud of transformational type work. You know, you sell a program with an outcome and that outcome is something tangible, but that's sort of the mechanics. For me, it's really the transformation. When you see people who come into your program and they have these like sort of dead eyes, like all the life has been taken out of them and there's no longer any fire that, that burns within them. And after, you know, a session or a couple of sessions, they are fired up. They're inspired. They've gotten a taste of life again. And that to me is the greatest gift of what I'm doing. And when I see people who start out in the program and they're shy and they're scared and they're unsure of themselves, and then second session, they're in there and they're bossing people around and they're coming out of their shell. It's so wonderful to see. And what I would love for everyone is to live, to live in joy. I mean, I wake up every single day and I want to scream, I love my life. I mean, I spent, I relocated my business to Costa Rica for three months because I consciously said I wanted an online business so I could, I could travel. And so I moved my business to Costa Rica. Before I left for Costa Rica, I woke up saying, my heart is full. Like I really love my life. When I was in Costa Rica, I was waking up screaming how much I loved my life. I couldn't believe that I could live this. I was living in paradise. I was going to the beach every day. I was working still, but I was going to the beach every day. I was watching the sunset every day. I was three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm in the middle of the Pacific Ocean on a sailboat. I mean, it it was what life is supposed to be. So... I want everybody to have a taste of that. And it's possible for everyone. We've just been programmed and we've also been taught. We've also been sold a lie, to be perfectly honest. You know, we've been told to go and pursue a career that's practical and be pragmatic and you don't have to love your job. That's why they call it work. And now we have so many people that are dissatisfied. I actually look to the millennials and got inspiration from them because they're more apt to pursue a career that is aligned with their passions or something that's civic oriented. And, you know, my generation, we, we sacrificed the entire, our entire life. Very few of us really followed our passion. So many people had these, you know, grand ideas and hobbies and they went and became an accountant or a lawyer. And now I talk to them and they're so miserable. Well, Tamara, congratulations on figuring out how to do it for you and also how to guide others through a process that can lead them to a much more fulfilling life. 
Oh, I, one last question that I do want to ask you is, what's your dream for what your business is going to become? I have so much more clarity now that I did take that time to go to Costa Rica. So in living that, in living that lifestyle, which was every day waking up, going to yoga, coming back, working a few hours, and then going to the beach and then watching the sunset, I became very conscious that this is the life I wanted to build. So now I'm building the infrastructure of my business in a way where all the operations really run them, run itself and sustains itself. And all I'm doing is spending the actual time, you know, coaching people instead of doing, instead of again, you know, constantly working every single day, doing everything in my business, I'm systematizing it in a smart way so I can focus on what I want so that I could be living a life like I had in Costa Rica. I just want less time working. Don't we all? Um, (laughs) So on, on that note, how can people learn more about you, access any resources you have, get in touch with you if they're interested? Where's the best place to go? Yes. Well, you can always reach me on email, which is Tamara at lashcheck.com. And my website is also tamaralashcheck.com. So you can find me on my website. And I am actually building a program called the Next Level Life Program, where I'm going to bring in other coaches to help people live a wholehearted life. And that program is taking place. One week of that program is taking place in Costa Rica in March. Wow. Yes. I want everyone to live in joy. I want everyone to live with passion. And particularly those people who spend a lot of their time in places that are very cold and dark in the winter. That sounds very enticing. Yes. Well, you're welcome to come. (laughs) Thank you. Tamara, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Going Solo and share your experiences and, and your insights. My guest has been the founder and CEO of TDL International, Tamara Laschek. Thank you again, Tamara, for joining us. Thank you so much, David. It's been a pleasure. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. There's no doubt that it's really hard to reinvent your career. That's why it's important to have support to help you through the rough spots. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll find a range of tools and resources to support your business, access to experts, answers to your burning questions, and the camaraderie of supportive collaborative colleagues. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com slash community. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash community. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode. <laughs>